I got a soapbox. I'm ready. Hey, and welcome to Meet Your Heroes. I'm Elliot. And I'm Audrey. And this is the podcast where we ignore the very good conventional wisdom to never meet your heroes and instead get to know who they really were. We do. And speaking of heroes with a capital H, a lot of people in our country are in mourning of their capital H hero. Yes. The, uh, the honorable, I guess, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Is that the title of a I mean, Supreme Court Justice? Yeah, that's a great superlative. Sure. Any number of superlatives would sure. fit. Second woman ever appointed to the Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. First to ever lie in state. One of the tweets said, you can tell it's a defect of the system when there's a load-bearing ba- 87-year-old. Yeah. Like, it's it's not great. It's not great. And, like, on the theme of our podcast, I've already seen a ton of memes coming out. Like, oh, well, you know... RBG wasn't great on this issue or that issue. Oh, no. Yeah, had a lot of flaws. Yeah. And to that, I say that's really fucking true. Yes. But yes, like, yes, yes. chill. If you all want to take issue with all the terrible people in our government who are deeply human. Absolutely. Radically flawed. Let's make a list. Let's record 37 podcasts about them. <laughs> Let me tell you, it doesn't start with her is the thing we're saying. It doesn't. She's not at the top of that list. It doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. We're all deeply human. That's the whole point of this podcast. Like, yeah, except the reptilians among us. I mean, what a treat. If you are a <laughs> reptilian listening to this podcast, mwah, love it. Call us. We want to know about it. Yes. Man, whole different kind of podcast spinoff. We got ready for that. I have no podcast ready for that. <laughs> Do you have a podcast ready for that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> okay, great. Sure. But anyway, it's been a week. It has been a week. Like every week in 2020, but this week, whoo, there's a lot at stake. Oh, man. And let me just, so I don't know if you've heard this crazy fact about, so in all the talks about the Republicans putting up potential replacements and nominees, mm-hmm. Cone Barrett is, yeah, um, right, one of these ones mm-hmm. on that's on the list met with Trump. I learned this week, and I don't know if you know this already, that she belongs to a, an ecumenical but mostly Catholic organization. Mm-hmm. Where they have accountability partners and like a pretty mm. strict social hierarchy. There's a lot of these like outside of the official church channels organizations that have existed for Catholics for a while. Sure. But this one in particular is notable because Amy Combert, is that her name? Yes. She belonged to the one. And the men's like accountability partner that they had to look up to was like the head or something. And then the women's accountability partner that they had to like be subservient to was called the Handmaid, and Don't Margaret Atwood that. literally based Handmaid's Tale off of the organization that Amy Coney Barrett belonged to. Belongs to present tense. Yes, yes. So I did know that, um, but I was raised in a very like lukewarm Methodist community, so I don't actually know a lot about Catholicism, except for what I know vis-a-vis you. Yeah. And what I know of Catholicism that, like the mainstream Catholicism, seems enough to concern me about influencing laws that are supposed to be separate from church, enough 
that knowing she belongs to this very specific, what what do you call it? Sect faction? Uh, n- it's community. Like a, so it's like. It's like the extra credit in the Catholic world. It's like mm. some additional organization on top of the church mm-hmm. that you belong to. Okay. I've I've not met a lot of good ones of those. Sure. So knowing that it's very concerning, what I what I do know about a lot of her politics is that she has been explicit about the subservience of women to men especially married women to their husbands. Yes, that's a part of this organization explicitly, but also she's on the record. Yeah, and you know what? I don't fuck with that. <laughs> I don't. I don't like being subservient to anybody. Well, Especially then. not you. I was going to say, how do you explain <laughs> your subservience to me then? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, so anyway, it's just been, it's been a scary week. Yeah. We'll make it through. By the way, for the record, for the Catholics out there, there are... JFK Catholics and Joe Biden Catholics, and then there are Handmaid's Tale Catholics. Sure. I think they're right. So, of, like, of all religions, of uh, all religions. But let's be clear: we are talking about the fact that she is the literal source of the Handmaid's Tale. Absolutely. Special extra credit Catholic group. In the same way that we have called this a non-political podcast, we're just a uh, anti-bullshit podcast. <laughs> yes. We are uh, passing judgment on no specific religion across the board. Do what you got to do. In general, got some questions. But you know what? Sure. Equal opportunity. Yeah. And I mean, it would be difficult to imagine a world leader who does not profess a certain affiliation to any specific religion. Like yeah. I, if there were an atheist judge being put up or an atheist presidential candidate, there would be a lot of questions about that. I think it will be a long time, actually, before we see an atheist presidential candidate for that reason. Absolutely. 100%. So, yes, there's the Joe Biden Catholic, like cool going to church actually like still right attending totally disagree on a whole lot of issues handmade catholics very much disagree (laughs) handmade methodist handmade lutheran handmade presbyterian fuck all (laughs) y'all non or we are an equal opportunity anti handmade tale the handmade tale discriminatory podcast. I think that's accurate. I think that's accurate. And you're welcome to get on board. If you happen to be pro Handmaid's Tale, this is not the podcast for you. <laughs> no, it is not. And for all of you listeners who don't actually know what Handmaid's Tale is, sorry if this got very confusing very quickly, mm-hmm. but you should go watch the Hulu series and uh, start to dread our future. I mean, yeah, we only made it through season one. After that, mm. it was... First couple episodes of season almost two had to bail. immediately like after the election and we couldn't get through. Oh, no. Could not. Mm-hmm. Speaking of getting through. Speaking of misogyny. Oh, yeah. That's the one. That is something that this week's hero is intimately familiar with. I can't wait. Who is this week's hero? This week's hero is Edgar Degas. Ooh. Old Eddie. <laughs> Yep, <laughs> as he's so affectionately known around <laughs> Never, ever. these parts. There are a lot of myths about Degas. A lot that are, I would say, reputationally favorable to him. Okay. And also a number that are mm, less than awesome. Okay. What do you know about him? So here's what I know about him. He was a painter. Indeed. I know he was an impressionist. We'll get to that. Okay, so... He was creating at the same time 
as other impressionists. Okay, so I know I lump him in my mind along with other impressionists. Good for you. Uh, I think I've seen some of his paintings as a kid. There was an exhibit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think he painted a ballerina picture, if I'm not mistaken. Hundreds. Oh, thousands. So, yeah, okay, so there there we go. That That's about what I know about uh, Eddie Degas. <laughs> okay, great. Well, did you know that he was born to an upper-middle-class family in Paris, France? No. On July 19th, 1834? No, no. I did not. You did not. Do you know what being born on July 19th makes a person? No, I do not. Well, buckle up, because it's time for Audrey's Astrology Hour slash Corner. (laughs) A cancer born on July 19th is known for their compassion, sensitivity, intuition, and optimism. While others struggle within the realm of emotions, they cannot relate, as they understand the inner workings of themselves and others with ease. They always have the right thing to say when people are in need. Likewise, in situations that seem particularly bleak, they have the ability to see the bright side. These qualities are greatly appreciated by those close to them and are the reason they are such a highly coveted friend. Well, let's see if he turns out to be a highly coveted friend. Spoiler alert! We don't even have to circle around to <laughs> this one. He was a dick. No. <laughs> no. Nobody liked him. <laughs> okay. Kind of ruined that one. Kind of ruined that one. I mean, come on. Just right out the gate. Do you think something that glowing? Yeah, no. If I'm like, hey, speaking of misogyny. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair, fair, fair. He was the oldest of five children. His mother was named Celestine, and she was a Creole from New Orleans. And his father, Augustin Degas, was a banker. They were new money, and they had a penchant for showing it off. So stuffy clothing, top hat, cane. In fact, like, uh, Degas and his father both had an extensive cane collection. Oh, they're that kind of new money. Yeah, that kind of new money. (laughs) They're new, new money. Yeah. (laughs) Cane collection money. Yes. (laughs) When he was 13, his mother died. And he and his five siblings were raised by his father. And, this is important, by several unmarried uncles. Unmarried uncles. Just put a pin in that. We'll loop back around. Okay. He painted essentially all his life. Uh, By the time he graduated high school, he had actually set up an art studio in his family's home. Okay. He um, applied to be a copyist at the Louvre. And his dad was like, no, no, no. You're going to be a lawyer. We're new money. You're going to be new money. You're going to law school. Interesting. Okay. We haven't been rich long enough for you to live, be an artist, <laughs> basically. <laughs> I mean, for real, though, it just makes me think of so many of the heroes that we have profiled. Their fathers have been like, you will be a lawyer. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like. Their mother dies the and their dad's like, you're a lawyer. And they're all like, actually, I'm a garbage human being that's going <laughs> to torment others for the rest of my life. Yes. So, joke's on you, Dad. (laughs) He goes to law school. He's bad at it. Surprise, surprise. However, at this time, he meets another artist, Jean-Auguste Dominique Ingres. Uh, In English, we would pronounce it... How do you spell that? (laughs) Ingres, I-N-G-R-E-S. Got it. But my um, intermediate level rudimentary French. Okay, okay. Looked it up online and then I'm pronouncing it how I heard it online. Gotcha, gotcha. So, you actually know this artist um, very recently. Yes. (laughs) 
Ingress. <laughs> Ingress. Uh, <laughs> Ungress. How do I know Ungers here? <laughs> you might remember a few months ago where I was like, damn, what is the artist's name who painted Le Grand Odalesque? Like, who was this person? And I went through all of my art history books and I was like, why can I not remember this name? You could not name? find this one name. No, I was like, it's not Delacroix. It's not like, I spent, I don't know, 30 minutes of my life and you still could not find it. This very basic art It was art Unger's, history. wasn't it? It was Unger's. <laughs> this very basic art history piece of trivia mm-hmm. that I should have been able to pull quickly. Now you'll never forget. Just in your head, Unger's, Unger's. No, Unger's. it was in my head before this nightmare of a year, where now in my head it's mm-hmm. like, hey. Here's strategies for not breathing the same air as people in the supermarket. <laughs> yes. 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 That's exactly right. So anyway, he meets this artist. And this artist is basically like, yo, dude, you like art? Study art. Get very good at art. Fuck law. And Bad Degas, influence. Yeah. Just running with the, with the rough crowd. I know. So Degas is basically like, you know what, man? You're right. Drops out of law school. I was going to say too cool for school, but he's probably heading to art school. So he's... He does go to art school. <laughs> okay, yeah, so he's not he too goes... cool for school. He's just too cool for law school. <laughs> He goes to the most preeminent art school of the time. Got it. Uh, the Ecole de Beaux Arts, which is still one of like it's French for la. it's French for art school. I take it the School of the Beautiful Arts. Okay, yeah, <laughs> yeah, <Got it. laughs> the beautiful art school. Excuse me. I mean, it is the sort of school where artists at the time were not just like, oh, paint what you feel. This is like it is like, hey. The exact angle of so-and-so's chin needs to be blank from the proportion of their calf muscle. Do you okay. know what I mean? It's like, like, this is like the MIT of art schools. This, yes, it is a very disciplined art school. At the time, at this point, it's like the 1860s. He graduates art school. He thinks because of this classical training and because his hero is Ingress. <laughs> okay, Unger. Unger. <laughs> Unger. Uh that he is going to be this very classic, classical artist, very precise. He he decides he's going to be a historical artist. Historical meaning like painting pictures from history. Yes. A lot of almost like naturalist art as well. He's painting a lot of horses at the time, to be honest. <laughs> okay. okay. Just so many horses. and Don't we all go through that horse phase, though? We do. We do. Degas, the original horse girl. Exactly. <laughs> he's... Good enough to be able to exhibit at the annual salon, but nobody cares about his art because it's honestly just like a bunch of horses. It's not even like good horses. It's not like um, it's not like David level horses. It's kind of like uh, David horses from middle school. Got it. They're like okay, but it's like the airbrush T-shirt horses of his day. Better than that. Okay, okay, good. But not like, not like, oh, wow, you can tell that this horse has a specific, like, purpose or musculature or this looks like a real horse. It's like, this looks like someone who has seen a real horse painted a horse. Got it, got it. If that makes sense. Around this time, there's, like, a lot of political upheaval happening in France. We're not going to get into it because that always ends on this, like, weird diversion. We're going to go ahead and skip ahead. He is an established artist. He's, like, doing okay. People know who he is. He's exhibiting annually. Early 1870s, he starts depicting the ballet. So we see some of his first pieces of art 
of ballerinas, which becomes essentially what mainstream people know about Degas, if they know anything. Every single person has probably seen a Degas. I'm going to describe one of the most famous ones just so folks can get a picture in their mind of who this artist is. Think about like a backstage of a ballet company where there's probably like a performance happening on stage or it's just a rehearsal. In the foreground, there's a young ballerina sort of like looking at her toes almost, sort of like slightly bent over. The colors are very white and almost like seafoam green. There's some touches of red, blues, uh, a little bit of dark in the composition, but uh, lots of what you can tell are lines, but also very almost like smudgy paint. Okay. Does that smudgy make sense? Paint, yes. Can you picture this in your mind? Yeah, I think I can imagine this, this painting because I think I've seen it. You have seen it. It is on tote bags, coffee mugs, Mouse pads when those were a thing. <laughs> wow, have not seen it on a mouse pad in a while. College posters. Okay. Like all of the girls who came to college and were like, oh, I'm a romantic. I have this ballet poster in my dorm room. If you can think about that. Sure. Any ballet poster you've seen in a dorm room that's not the one of the woman on point with like the broken toes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then it's that one. Okay. Okay. 1872, he moves to New Orleans. This is where you might have actually been exposed more to Degas than even dorm room posters. Yeah, because I have to, I will take credit for this. So growing up around New Orleans uh, in middle school, when we would take the field trips down to the French Quarter, there is a house called the Degas house. So when I'm like stretching my memory, I remember in like fourth or fifth grade, I took a field trip to this Degas house and it was just an old house where they had some prints of his paintings up. But like... Yes, that that I think is the the place where I probably first saw this famous po- painting. So there's still like historical landmarks around New Orleans that say like Degas House. He only lived there very briefly, but his mother was from there and a couple of his siblings and uncles and cousins actually lived in New Orleans. So he went and spent a year there. He created a a, uh, a piece about inside a cotton mill. I can't remember the title of it, but basically it's the only piece of art that was ever bought by a museum during his lifetime. Oh. So it was kind of a big deal. It's like a thing. Um, anyway, he's there for a year. He goes back to Paris in 1873, and within a year his dad dies. When his dad dies, he learns that his brother had actually amassed massive debt. Oh, yikes. Yikes. This brother, Rene, back in New Orleans. Wait, so went from being like cane collection type of people Mm -hmm. to like selling the cane collection type of people? Selling the cane collection, the house, the art collection, basically all of their assets to bail his brother out. And for the first time in his life, as a result of this, mind you, this motherfucker is 40 at this point. 1873. He's born in 1834. So he's 40. Mm -hmm. This is the first time that he's actually had to start selling his art to make a living. Well, before he'd just been living off the family wealth? Yes. Oh. Not ideal. What he does is he thinks, hey, what if my art is very commercially successful? And this is sort of where his notoriety 
and awfulness pick up. So it's the mid-1870s, right in the heart of Impressionism, right? So you Mm -hmm. were like, oh, he's an Impressionist. But Degas himself really, really hated being lumped in with Impressionists. Oh, he hated it? He did. He did not consider himself an Impressionist. Um, A lot of that had to do with the fact that he perceived himself to be this very classically trained artist in the style of his neoclassical heroes. Okay, so so the whole idea was that the Impressionists were like these like newer, hipper, but like not as disciplined, not as like sophisticated people. And he resented to be like, he wanted to be known as like the expert of the old style. He did not love that a lot of Impressionism was based on sort of reaction to the real world. The fact that they were responding to the way that light interacted with the world, right? So... Despite that, he actually helped organize all of the eight Impressionist exhibitions that happened during this time. Because this was just like what was commercially viable? It's what people were buying? Indeed. These are the same exhibits that you might recall from our Gauguin episode that Gauguin tried to exhibit at. Everybody was like, yo, your shit sucks. (laughs) Oh, yes, yes, yes. (laughs) Um, But anyway, of the Impressionist, Degas said, quote, You know what I think of people who work out in the open? Sidebar, this is because a lot of Impressionists worked outdoors to capture the way that light interacted with the world. Got it, got it, got it. Back to the quote. If I were the government, I would have a special brigade of gender arms, which I imagine are armed militants, to keep an eye on artists who paint landscapes from nature. Oh, I don't mean to kill anyone. Just a dose of birdshot now and then as a warning. This is the weirdest shit to get angry about. <laughs> like, what, he wants the government to have a special brigades to go, like, out and pepper the Impressionists with a birdshot? <laughs> really? Yes. To further emphasize the fact that he did not like Impressionists, he said, quote, No art was ever less spontaneous than mine. What I do is the result of reflection and of the study of the great masters of inspiration, spontaneity, temperament. I know nothing. Wow. It sounds boring, too. (laughs) But if you think about his art, are you really telling me, Degas, that your shit is the least spontaneous of all time? No. I mean, like, clearly he's just like... He's has a huge, massively inflated sense of self is yeah. what's actually happening here. Throw a Caravaggio up next to your bullshit day guy and tell me you understand how this works. Woof. Not in the slightest. Mm-mm. So anyway, bad taste in my mouth number one. Okay. He's a hypocrite and kind of a dick. He's organizing these exhibitions. He has just like a place to sell his art. So he decides he is going to capitalize on a lot of the art that has already made him money. And that requires a very specific subject. What does it require? Ballerinas. Oh, is this what's going to make him his his money again? I mean, it did. It oh. made him all his money. Wow. Okay. Basically, yes. It continues to make him money. Yeah. Yes. It, it was the mouse pad hit of its day. <laughs> it was. And so there has actually been a lot of conversation about why Degas chose ballerinas as his subject, because there were, there, you know, like a lot of stuff that could have been captured at the time. Yeah, it sounds like his first choice was horses and people just weren't into it. No, right. But at this point, we're talking about the like seedy underbelly of Paris, the Moulin Rouge, mm. the absinthe, the like, there's just chaos everywhere that he could be capturing. And he chooses ballerinas. It seems like 
the synthesis or the spark notes version that sure, I'm sure. going to provide right now is he chose ballerinas because of some combination of the fact that one ballet at the moment was a dying art in France. So there was this period where ballet was the height of romanticism. Mm -hmm. And now it's like the seedy underbelly of France or of Paris. There's not this like romantic connotation with dancers. If you can think about like like the can-can, it's, Mm. you know, dance has taken on a new meaning. What that meant was there were no major superstars and you could get easy access to backstage, which is actually what he wanted. I see. And it was a lot of young girls and women. So the the bar to like get access to these individuals and their willingness to be his muse was much lower than if he were trying to uh, interject himself into a number of other settings. Okay. So basically they would let him be here. In addition to that, he could also capture this very specific subject that was not being, I would say, exploited by many artists at the time. Because it was a dying art, people were not like deeply interested in going to the ballet and being like, ooh la la, can I paint you, right? Finally, it gave him access to people who could contort their bodies in ways that just like normal people couldn't. Degas really liked this because by many accounts, he was uh, what some folks might consider sadist light. Like a diet sadist. Diet sadist. (laughs) Yes. He enjoyed requiring his muses and his models to contort themselves into various poses that at first seem tolerable, but eventually become almost unbearably painful. There is a really, I would say, important article by John Richardson in Vanity Fair from, I believe, 2009, maybe 2011. I did not write that down. Sorry, John Richardson. That says, quote, Degas wanted to portray his, quote, little monkey girls under stress, quote, cracking their joints at the bar, as he said, their youthful spirits crushed, their muscles in agony, their feet raw and bleeding. Degas a misogynist in a misogynistic society equated dancers with animals, particularly the racehorses whose musculature he had painted so lovingly in earlier years. Degas confessed in later life, quote, I have perhaps too often considered woman as an animal. Quote, women can never forgive me. They hate me. They can feel that I am disarming them. I show them in the state of animals cleaning themselves. So as you can see... Yeah, that's, that's a quite a jump to make to be like, mm-hmm. oh, I paint these ballerinas because I can watch them suffer like my horse horses did. <laughs> <laughs> like, what? So, I mean, he had a really complicated relationship to the humanity of women in so much as he didn't think, like, women deserve to be humanely treated. Yeah, yeah, I mean, like, treated them like animals is exactly his words. I mean, exactly. So, notoriously, he's been described as a celibate misogynist who, quote, who saw women as, quote, human animals, females of the species. 
Wow, just like you know when a man calls a, calls women females. Yeah, 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 yeah. Nothing good is following that. Wait, and so he's celibate. So, he, but he's not. I would say he's like sounds like the original incel. Mm-hmm. But incel is like involuntarily celibate. Yeah, he was voluntary voluntarily celibate. The volcel, so same like <laughs> level of sadistic mm-hmm. and misogyny, but so much so that he didn't want to have sex with women. Yes, and that is thematically going to show up in his art a lot. There is some debate about why he was so like fervently anti-female. Yeah. But the simplest explanation is, and this is an oversimplification of the explanation, but again, we're here for the too long didn't read version, is that he likely caught a venereal disease at a brothel one of the very few times he visited in his youth. And that put a sour taste in his mouth. Maybe literally, we don't know. The public story is that he sh- he shared that women were a distraction to his work. Oh yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah. Uh-huh. It sounds it sounds a lot like uh our man's Isaac Newton for a <laughs> yeah, second. Yeah, I know. Woof. Except I do not think Degas was of the Newtonian sort. Got it. It's not that he has no people skills and just like cannot mm-hmm. connect with anybody. This is like no, he very clearly actually has people skills enough to be intentionally cruel yeah. with his wit mm-hmm. and sarcasm in his relationships. Um, Van Gogh actually wrote to another artist, quote, why do you say that Degas can't get hard? Degas lives like a little law clerk and doesn't like women, knowing that if he liked them and fucked them often, he would become deranged and inept at painting. What? <laughs> yeah. So that's one theory. That yeah. seems to be the like major theory, actually, that like Degas got this bad taste in his mouth for women. He didn't have a mother figure. He was around all of these unmarried men, his father, his uncles. He got a lot of validation through his art and... Um, Just didn't have a place in his psyche for any healthy relationship with women at all. And he didn't seek them out. Uh-huh. He actually like went to places that reinforced his belief that most women were degenerates or like whores. Interesting. And I don't use that term derog like der- I use that term as like something that he said. Yes. Uh, because if I were him, I would say sex workers and that's fucking awesome. Or you'd say there's some whores in this house. <laughs> I would say there's <laughs> some whores in this house proudly. Anyway, so he clearly did not like girls or women. In fact, he called the ballerina subjects of his art. And this was sort of like a colloquial term at the time. So it's not just him, but it is derived from the way that people thought about ballerinas at the time. He called them little rats. Little rats? Mm-hmm. And he intentionally set out to see them in their like least sort of romantic moments and then used those moments to create very romantic art to profit from it. Mm. So he went where they were, you know, like posing for him in pain. He went to rehearsals where they were, you know, attempting new things over and over. They were bloodying their feet. They were in pain. And he sort of vibed. He vibed. And that, that, those are the moments he would capture. Mm-hmm. One journalist uh, named Priscilla Frank said, quote, He was a voyeur who adopted the attitude of a father figure, a chauvinist critic who embodied the basics of toxic masculinity. Which is strange for someone that 
I would imagine most people who see the paintings of these gorgeous ballerinas, these gorgeous paintings, by the way, of these ballerinas, they would not imagine that they were painted by someone with such disdain for girls and women. I gotta say, if you find yourself with your back up against the wall, having to sell your cane collection and nothing else to fall back on, Mm -hmm. you dig deep and you do whatever's going to (laughs) sell. That's one way to look at it, for sure. Um, So for what it's worth, it's also important to point out that there is little to no evidence that unlike many, many, many other artists at the time, there were no untoward relationships between Degas and these young these young girls. No, oh, so he's not like actually trying mm-hmm. to manipulate them into sex. No. In fact, he was like really sort of perplexed by this very specific system that was in place at the time, which was that in the green room at the ballet, which happened at the opera house, there was this subset of men who were allowed to hang backstage and cultivate relations with these very young girls in exchange for purchasing three seats for the ballet that evening. Wait, so if you if you bought three seats, mm-hmm. you could go back and like get a backstage pass? You could. In France at that time, girls who were ballerinas, they started very young, you know. They're in ballet, four, five, six, they get with companies as young as eight. And they would work 10, 12 hours a day, six to seven days a week. Then after reaching sexual maturity around 13, the girls were then forced into sex work with these men who were waiting in the opera's wings. Wait, what? So they would come, they would buy three seats, they could come to the green room they could hang out with these young girls eight nine ten eleven and as soon as the girls reached sexual maturity these men then would purchase them no fucking i would call it sex work except it's not sex work because these are children it's rape yeah so these men then would rape these 13 year old ballerinas and that is where these girls not young women girls earned the nickname rats. Oh, my because God. they were the animals known to transmit syphilis. Oh, oh, and and be, because of the sexually transmitted diseases, that's where they get the term? Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. So, wait, so, like, ba- ballet in, in Paris is just basically like a giant child sex trafficking front? A lot of things were at the time. Holy shit. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, you know, Degas could have taken a fascination with this scenario and been like, these men are fucking rapist perverts. But instead, Degas was like, you know what? Actually, these children are degenerates and whores. Oh, yeah. Right. Because that's where you're going to find falls in this system. Right. And not to put too fine a tip on this, but because on this podcast, we refuse to separate the artist from the art, which is what so many people want to do regarding Degas, I would like to share a little bit about his most famous sculpture. At the time, for context, just so you can sort of like picture this, and we'll put a picture of this sculpture as it is now in bronze on our social media. At the time, it was made of wax and it had real hair, like a wig 
of real human hair. <laughs> okay. And it wore real clothing. Wait, oh my god. It's like like a like a wax museum type wax statue, basically. Less refined. Okay, less refined. refined. Like, Got it. like a blob of wax. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. With his hair and this tutu. And it's called Little Dancer, age fourteen. It took Degas four years to make this sculpture, which I share to emphasize that it every single inch of it is deliberate. Okay. And an important idea, concept, I don't even want to call it like a scientific term because it's been very clearly disproven many times, that informed Degas' creation of this piece is this idea of physiognomy. Do you know what that is? Physiognomy? Physiognomy. Uh, it sounds like... Uh... Some it sounds like a pseudoscience, basically. Yes, right up there with phrenology. Oh, okay, same yes. family. Phrenology being you can determine somebody's uh, personality by the shape of their head. Yes. Okay. And you know the story. I've said this many times, but yes. my college boyfriend used to tell people his major was phrenology, and no one ever questioned him. They would just smile and nod. They would just yeah. smile and nod. Like, oh, okay, that's cool. So now we can say that we studied uh, physiognomy. Physiognomy. What, what yes, is that? <laughs> is this idea? That criminal inclination or behavior is genetic. Mm. And because Degas thought of dancers as whores and degenerates, he could not help but assume that that was genetic. And so what he did was then he exaggerated a number of features on this sculpture to make this little girl who was 14, appear, quote, primitive and like an animal. He elongated her jaw. He her, her limbs are not proportional. He made her nose almost like a pig nose. Wait, what? So this yeah. is like phrenology of the face. He's like, I'm going to make her look like a criminal, like yeah. a genetically determined criminal. His idea of a genetically yeah, exactly. determined <laughs> criminal, which yes. is not a real thing. There's, no, no. You're not genetically determined to be a criminal. <laughs> so, yeah, it's all fake. Who, by the way, this 14-year-old who's actually like a rape victim and victim of human trafficking. Yes. And he's like, I'm going to show what an evil person she is by giving her a pig nose in the statue. He He is... And here's what I'll tell you. Her life doesn't get better from there. His does, but hers doesn't. After this work goes public, this little girl is like publicly shamed. She's still a performing member of the ballet company oh, that shit. performs and it, and at And the it's like a real house. person. And it looks enough like this real person to like everybody like, oh, you're the girl in this statue. Yes. She was harassed and eventually fired from her job. Oh, shit. There is... A woman whose last name is Lawrence, she spent years trying to find the history of this little girl. And after years and years and years of research, she could not track her down. She could find no birth or no marriage certificate, no death certificate. Essentially, after she's fired from the ballet, she disappears from the face of the earth. And there's, you know, like a lot of people say, if Degas had not done this... She probably could have just, like, gone about her life. Her sister ended up being a successful ballet teacher. She was clearly, like, a gifted student enough to be, like, part of the Parisian Ballet Company. Oh, so even as bad as their life was, her sister went on to, like, become a ballet teacher and live a life. And and the original girl, because 
Degas chose her for this particular statue just ended up with her already short, terrible life ruined even more. Yes. And there are stories of when he was actually creating this this sculpture about how physically manipulative and potentially abusive he was. He used this, like, measuring tool that was known to, like, slash the subject's skin or, like, dig into it. So there's just, like, a lot of horror stories about this. All that is to say, her life was ruined and his career is still on the up and up. He's still profiting from this sculpture. He's selling all of these paintings. This little girl's not the only woman to have suffered the consequences of being a Degas muse. And he preyed on women who benefited from a few extra bucks modeling for an artist. A lot of his later works, so we're going to, you know, he's creating a bunch of art around this time. He's successful enough to maintain whatever lifestyle he wants. He's still known now. A lot of his later works become incredibly voyeuristic. So there's like a series of women bathing that he... Which, again, fine, like consenting adults in this scenario, but it thematically becomes a thing when it's like every piece of art during this time period is, quote, as if looking through a keyhole at these naked women. Yeah, just a creeper. Mm -hmm. Degas is known throughout his life as being sort of reclusive, not antisocial, but very reserved, cruel. Like, people often remark about how cruel he was on purpose. Um, And most of that is happening in private. Close art friends, people in his circle. But then something happened in France in 1890 that inspired Degas to be more publicly terrible, if you will. Just to recap, up to this point, we have misogynistic, abusive, cruel, ill-tempered. And this is where we get to the anti-Semite Degas. Oh, no. Do you know anything about the Dreyfus Affair? No. Me either, until yesterday. (laughs) (laughs) So here's the too-long-didn't-read version. The Dreyfus Affair was a scandal that rocked France in the late 19th and early 20th centuries. The Dreyfus Affair involved a Jewish artillery captain in the French army, Alfred Dreyfus, who was falsely convicted of passing military secrets to the Germans. This split the country into two parties, sort of uh, Dreyfusarians and anti-Dreyfusites, something like that. The Dreyfus camp and the not Dreyfus camp. Yes. And... Degas, who was already anti-Semitic in his private life, for example, he refused to work with Jewish models. There are a number of paintings that are caricatures of Jewish people, stockbrokers in particular. Now, he's sort of like letting it all hang loose. So he cuts ties with all his Jewish friends and other artists and anybody who supports Dreyfus. He's just like, you're done, including... Basically, he had, like, one good friend for 40 years to this person. He was like, no, you're done. You support Dreyfus. You're out. As you could imagine, the traditionally avant-garde art scene, these progressive folks, did not take kindly to this vocal anti-Semitism. And for a dec- at least a decade following, during and following this scandal, Degas sort of, like, lost 
respect in the artist community. Sure, it turns out you're a huge anti-Semite. There's respect in the artistic community. It would be similar to, for example, a beloved public figure ranting about QAnon right now. Folks would be like, you know what? No, thank you. What you're you're saying is it would be Kanye West right now. (laughs) It would be Kanye West. I mean, actually, yes. It's Kanye West. is the Kanye West of his time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, totally uh, misogynistic, doing the commercially, uh, you know, popular work. Mm Mm-hmm goes on this very anti-Semitic side of this political divide, and people are like, what the fuck are you doing? Yes. And shunned for at least a decade. At least. There are a number of art historians who believe that Degas was increasingly isolated in his older age Wait, as a just, result of this. Yeah, I go just, ahead. Kanye is like notorious for like having the models like stand in that place mm-hmm. for his big first initial... Uh, Yeezy fashion show mm-hmm. and like so they like fainted some of them and everything yeah knees locked yeah there's a lot of similarities here I'm certain well. there is a um, power dynamic at play that centers the artist makes their subjects this romanticized version of someone who is essentially like a day laborer <laughs> right and as such creates this imbalance about what the artist thinks that they can do to their quote-unquote muse. That's a whole nother podcast. Sure. Anyway. Into his old age. Into his old age. They got shunned. He's not shunned, actually. He he is a bit more isolated, and, al- and he has alienated himself. But also, there are like these spurts in his creative life where he's like, energetically promoting his work he's traveling he at some point for some reason starts to like mentoring younger artists it becomes like a whole thing like he's like chilling with Gauguin which we know can't be a good combination not not a good idea but anyway so this this anti-semitism and misogyny leaves a bad taste in the otherwise progressive art community and he does lose favor with them by, you know, the turn of the century, he's old. He was born in the 1830s. And so by the 19-teens, he's actually struggling with his eyesight and his hearing. And then he sort of like unceremoniously dies on September 27th, which is Lil Wayne's birthday, uh, in 1917, of what seems to be natural causes. So it's sort of like a fizzling out. Nothing spectacular just saw commercial success mm-hmm. made it work Sound violent like... misogynist anti-semite terrible person enjoyed the pain of teenagers for all those things Degas is not my hero and he wasn't before that because i mostly like modern art and that's kind of like too fluffy for me but whatever yes <laughs> uh a lot of reasons. A lot of good reasons. Man, I did not get all of the layers behind not just the particular way that he took on the ballerinas as a subject, but like mm-hmm. once you contextualize them in what it was like to be a ballerina at that right. time, like it goes from being like a slightly condescending or like oppressive role to like, oh man, that's just, oh, that's gross yeah and when people asked him hey they got why do you paint ballerinas at the time he's not gonna be like oh because they're easy to manipulate and 
dirt cheap. He was like, yeah. well, because you can paint beautiful bodies with beautiful clothing. Mm-hmm. Okay, friend. Mm. Yeah. Anyway, so um, I actually posted about some of our other artist-centered episodes mm-hmm. on a pretty popular social media account about art history. And so we have like a whole bunch of new art history specific followers. Oh, hey, welcome. Welcome. Um, and I just want to say, like, despite the fact that I studied art history, it was 12 years ago. I didn't really love this time period in art. So there <laughs> are possible uh, holes in this narrative. And there are actually, like, intentionally large sections of his life life left out just so that we could fit it in an hour. So please don't, like, at us with how shitty I am with my Degas art history. Yeah, save it for my episode and done until next week. <laughs> yeah. Degas sucks. Who cares? Next. He's terrible. Find someone who's cool. If we would like to... If people would like to try to find somebody who's cool next week with us, mm-hmm. where can they do that? Well, if they're listening to this podcast, just click subscribe. Also, rate, review us. Super neat. Smash that like button. (laughs) Smash that like button. We would love it. Listen, it would be fantastic. We would be very grateful. Do we still have stickers? We have so many stickers. Please write us a review, screenshot it, and then send us that screenshot. We will send you stickers. Send us that screenshot on social media at Your Heroes Pod, Twitter or Instagram. We will send you so many stickers. I have stickers, stamps. I have these little, like, um pendant charms and i would be thrilled to give them to someone yes and if you have complaints about the podcast you can Keep always them to yourself i know i was gonna say we will accept them just write them on the back of the 20 dollar bill and send them <laughs> to us yeah if you have complaints about this podcast that's your personal business keep it to yourself don't want to hear it don't care See us but we love so- you thanks there you go <laughs> until next week until next week don't be a hero Don't be a hero. Bye.